This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Isn't it a great Sabbath to be together? I hope you guys got at least a few hours of sleep last night after catching up with friends and waking up early to have personal devotions and rushing to catch this meeting. You know, I love GYC, don't you? Everyone's either hungry or tired or both, but it's okay because it's a big, happy reunion of people we love and we don't see enough of, and it's a time to be spiritually challenged, encouraged, uplifted, a little taste of heaven, isn't it? The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And this Sabbath day, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is just waiting to be poured out on those who are hungering and thirsting to receive a blessing. I want to begin with an experience I had just about a month ago. I recently moved to Maryland a few months ago, and I was driving on the highway one rainy evening, going to pick up my boyfriend Kyle from the airport, which I tend to do often. I was singing at the top of my lungs, trying to lift my spirits from the rainy night, just having a peaceful ride. I was in the fast lane which, especially in Maryland, I love being in because, you know, I'm still getting used to Maryland versus California. In California, you can typically drive like 74 and it's okay in a 65, but in Maryland, the speed limit's like 55. So anyway, I'm in the fast lane. I'm, I'm a little frustrated that the people in front of me are going kind of slow. Uh, you know, it's raining, but I'm in Kyle's outback, so I feel really safe. Well, as things go on the highway sometimes, a car starts pulling up next to me in the next to fast lane, but he can't seem to get in front of me uh, because of the car in front of him, who's going a little too slow. Of course, I'm thinking, why is this person trying to pass me? Doesn't he see that the person in front of me is going slow and I I'm keeping the closest and safest following distance, and there are several cars in front of him? And so, I'm, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> So he's inching his way forward, trying to cut in front of me. And I'll admit, I'm like, uh-uh. And I inch closer, you know, subconsciously. I inch closer and closer to the car in front of me, just shaking my head, thinking, man, why Maryland drivers, why? We go back and forth like this for a few minutes. Me being adamant about not letting him in and wanting to keep my spot. And, and why are Maryland drivers the worst? And, and all these thoughts in my head, all the while, Google Maps is going off, telling me that my exit is coming up in 1.8 miles, in one mile, in half a mile. But unfortunately, I had the volume turned down a little low. I could hear it, but I couldn't hear it because I was so focused on the frustration, the distraction, you could say, of trying to keep my place in the fast lane, not letting this guy in. 
when I finally realize my exit is half a mile away, my mind quickly begins to work out how in the world I can get over fast enough to my exit because I knew if I didn't, it'd be several miles before the next exit and I would just waste so much time. So I quickly lose sight of wanting to keep my place. I actually break, motioning to this guy to get over in front of me so now I can move over to the slower lanes. I see a wide gap of cars in the next two lanes and as I'm swerving over to exit, I'm thinking I'm such a bad Maryland driver. Simultaneously, I'm not quite clearing, you know, that triangle before it splits and the exit sign is there. So I, I sort of clear it, but not really. I hit two huge potholes and I'm yelling, praise the Lord for Outbacks. You know, I'm sorry, Kyle, I've never actually told you this story, but I think your car is safe. I, uh, I make it off the freeway barely, all because of a petty distraction. Distractions can create real problems. They can cause us to lose sight of what's important, what really matters. And when you look back on that distraction, sometimes you think, wow, that deserved so little of my attention compared to what I really should have been focused on. The message this morning is titled, The Power of the Undistracted. Let's have one more word of prayer. Father in heaven, this Sabbath morning, we come to you so in need of your Holy Spirit because I can't say anything that means anything and the listeners can't really have this message touch their hearts without your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do the miracle of changing a human heart to be spiritual and that the words that you want me to speak would come out and would reach deep into the hearts of these people in my own. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Distractions or diversions are used in war to cause the enemy to be surprised and overcome by the unexpected attack. They are used in competitive sports to lure as many people away from that one player who is planning on making the touchdown or driving to the basket. Have you ever been talking to someone who is easily distracted? Maybe here at GYC, you're at the booths, you're so excited to see your friend that you haven't seen in a while, and, and you start talking, and as you're talking, you start noticing their eyes are going everywhere. <laughs> wow, so you're going back to school, that's great. Oh, I'm so sorry, your dad's not doing well. Oh. <laughs> I hope he feels better. <laughs> a distraction is anything that prevents someone from giving full attention to something or someone else. I want you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 6. In John 6, we find a story, a fascinating story, that we've heard, some of us, many times. Jesus has just performed an incredible miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, probably thousands of people more that were actually there. He's just multiplied the loaves and fish for that young boy, and the people are incredibly amazed at what has just taken place. The men gathered there are being confirmed more and more in their minds, this is the Messiah who was finally here to free us from the Romans. He can, he can restore the kingdom to Jerusalem. 
He will make Judea an earthly paradise, a land flowing with milk and honey. He can heal soldiers wounded in battle and, and supply whole armies with food. He'll conquer the nations and give Israel the long-sought dominion. Their hopes are running high, and they begin to talk. How are we going to crown him like king, like he deserves? The disciples join in, and as they're about to advance towards Jesus, Jesus senses what is taking place. And the Bible says that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He spoke in an authoritative voice. He knew that this was not why he came. Jesus, not in the slightest flattered by the ambition of the multitudes, knows that he was not called for this purpose. And we pick up the story in verse 37. This is actually the day after the events when he multiplied the loaves and fish. And the people are looking frantically for him. And Jesus tries to tell them what his mission is. And in verse 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Amen. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus was saying, this is the Father's will. I know what the Father's will is, and I have come to do his will. You see, in situations that would allure any of us to worldly honor and riches and fame, Jesus held strong to what he knew the Father's ultimate will was for him. They wanted to crown him king, they wanted to give him honor and allegiance, and yet this was not even tempting to Jesus because he knew so clearly his mission. Jesus faced temptation similar to this when the devil took him up to the mountain and offered him the whole world, fame, riches, power, authority. But Jesus remains undeterred from his mission. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can distract him. Nothing can seem to move him from his mission of revealing the character of God and dying for the sinful race. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are pressed. Jesus knew clearly what he was sent to do and what his purpose was. Luke 19, 9 to 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In John 9, Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus was so focused. He was undistracted from his mission. And finally, in Luke 9, 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus would not be deterred from his mission. He was so convinced of his purpose. He had so accepted and embraced his calling that you couldn't offer him the world. 
You know, we sing, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Jesus saying, you can have all this world, but give me lost souls. Jesus had purpose. He had vision. He had focus. His attention was absorbed in one thing. Nothing could distract him from it. And this life of focus was a life of power. This life of purpose was a life that shook the world because nothing could distract him from his mission. Why was it that Jesus could be so focused on his mission? Why was it that nothing could distract him from his calling? Did you know that Jesus had to study the scriptures over time as a child and began to understand more fully his calling? Mary, Jesus' mother, taught him from the words of Scripture, and Jesus was an earnest student of the prophecies of the Bible. In Desire of Ages, we're given a picture for the first time of Jesus' parents taking him to Jerusalem for the Passover. He is of age, 12 years old. Are there any 12-year-olds in here this early in the morning? A few, okay. At, at that age, Jesus was understanding his mission. You know, parents, don't underestimate the capacity of your child to sense a calling in their lives from God. Jesus was 12, and as he studied the words of Scripture, he was understanding something. And listen to what it says in Desire of Ages, page 78. For the first time, the child Jesus looked upon the temple. He beheld the bleeding victim upon the altar of sacrifice. With the worshipers, he bowed in prayer while the cloud of incense ascended before God. He witnessed the impressive rites of the Paschal service. Day by day, he saw their meaning more clearly. New impulses were awakening within him. Every act seemed to be bound up with his own life. Silent and absorbed, he seemed to be studying out a great problem. The mystery of his mission was opening to the Savior, Wrapped in contemplation of these scenes, he did not remain beside his parents. He sought to be alone. When the Paschal services were ended, he still lingered in the temple courts. And when the worshipers departed from Jerusalem, he was left behind. You can imagine Jesus as he's starting to understand his mission. It goes on in Desire of Ages to say, as one seeking for wisdom, he questioned these teachers, speaking of the rabbis, in regard to the prophecies and to events then taking place that pointed to the advent of the Messiah. He knew the fulfillment of the time of the Messiah was coming near, and many people did. Time prophecies gave him and gave them an understanding that the Messiah should be there. Later on in Desire of Ages, it says the rabbis knew that Jesus had not been instructed in their schools, yet his understanding of the prophecies far exceeded theirs. He knew more of the rabbis because he studied the Bible. He studied the scriptures. He understood just where they were in earth's history at that time, and he knew that the Messiah was to come. He understood the sanctuary service, and he realized that he was the fulfillment one of the reasons Jesus was able to stay so fixed on his mission, completely undistracted, was because he realized that he was a fulfillment of the prophecies given hundreds and thousands of years prior. 
and he accepted that calling. You know, there's something about studying the Bible. There's something about studying the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation that helps build a reason for our faith, that convicts us deeply and keeps us focused on the purpose for our existence in this day and age of the 21st century. As you read and study the Bible, as you discover this man, Jesus, who was willing to die eternally so that you could live eternally, you start to realize that this Redeemer was also your creator, and you begin to fall in love with him. As you read and study the scriptures, you start to respect the true God of the Bible, someone who wouldn't burn people in hell for eternity, someone who is just and merciful, someone who forgives over and over and over, and who loves you just the same, and you commit your life to him as you read the Bible. As you read the prophecies of the Bible, you recognize that your best friend has promised that he's going to come back. And he's outlined how you can know he is coming soon. You see the rise and fall of nations that were foretold thousands of years in advance, and your heart is strengthened to believe that the book he left you can be trusted. You see just where you are in earth's history, and that you're living in the time just prior to when he is coming again. He tells you that he has a special plan for you in the time period that you were born, in a special sense to call people's attention to him and to prepare the way for him. You recognize that the calling is a personal calling. And how do you recognize that? Because you read the Bible and you realize that you are those messengers in Revelation 14. And that you have a part to play in Revelation 18 and the whole earth being illuminated with the glory of God. You are part of that group that must prophesy again in Revelation 10. And God is calling you to be part of that group in Revelation 14 who are redeemed from the earth, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and who keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Yes, you read the scriptures, as you read the prophecies, you understand that this is a very personal calling. Knowing and understanding the scriptures in the time that we live in, friends, is crucial. No wonder we are so distracted from our mission. We don't really know what our mission is about. No wonder we so easily adopt the principles of the world the ambitions of the world. We settle so easily for our lives here on earth because maybe we have not discovered our real purpose as Seventh-day Adventists from the Word of God. I was 15 years old. <clears throat> I was sitting in the cafeteria excuse me, of my high school <clears throat> Monterey Bay Academy. <clears throat> a group of young people, <clears throat> all 20s and 30s, came to visit my school. They were talking about canvassing and evangelism. One guy was named Taj Pakleb. <clears throat> and another guy, Bill Crick. I was 15 years old and was very open to God during that time. I had been planning on going on a mission trip uh, with my school to South Africa. 
But some of these guys started talking about a Share Him mission trip they were taking to Ethiopia. And I sensed the Holy Spirit really speaking to me that I should go. <clears throat> and so I don't know how my parents let me do this as a 15-year-old, but I went to Africa with a group of people I didn't know. I've always appreciated my parents. <clears throat> that even if I wanted to do something that sounded crazy, they would allow me to go where they sensed the Holy Spirit was leading. Parents, if you're out there or watching online, don't be afraid to let your children experience God in radical ways. It might seem crazy to you or a waste of time, but be sensitive to the desires of your children to go on missions for God. We're living in different times, and don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit is moving on your children in powerful ways, because it could change their lives for eternity. So I went on this trip, not knowing anyone, pretty nervous. We would review and edit the sermons in the morning, take a little break in the afternoon, go around the town, and in the, after, in the evening, we would preach. I remember my first sermon preaching on Daniel chapter 2. I had no idea what I was doing. If any of you have been on these trips, you know that they have all the sermons outlined for you, so you can edit them or you can just read them word for word, and I pretty much read a lot of it word for word. I remember my first night making an appeal, and I was just doing what I saw my dad do and what I'd seen growing up, and I said, if you believe, uh, if you want to take the Word of God as your only rule of, of authority, I want you to raise your Bibles in the air. And I saw people raising their Bibles, and I was thinking, wow, they're actually doing it. That's awesome. I remember preaching night after night under a tree in a small town called Dongoro. And I had a great translator. You know, I was only 15, so he was the type of translator when I got to the end of the sermon, I'd, I'd make my appeal, and then he would look at me and say, okay, wait. And then he would go off in a romo and just start preaching and appealing. And I would stand there and be like, amen. <laughs> what was so life-changing about that trip was that as I read and studied in the morning, I was amazed and how everything we believed as Seventh-day Adventists was straight from the Bible, and how much sense it made. I hadn't studied too much for myself into Daniel and Revelation or asking the deep questions of life, but because I had to present it, I, I had to understand it. And I remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. Fifteen years old. There are teenagers that would love to dig deep into the Word of God if we gave them opportunities. As I saw how God foretold in Daniel 2 the rise and fall of, na of the nations of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, hundreds and thousands of years before the events took place, it was as a large stone in the foundation of my faith being laid. I began to trust that this book was reliable, that they, just, they aren't just stories or allegories or metaphors. These were real-life experiences, and the promises were for me. I understood the issues of the great controversy, that an enemy has done this, has brought sin into the world, and that God created a perfect world and made provision for sin through his son Jesus if man were to sin because he gave us free choice. I began to understand why bad things happen to good people and why God is full of love and is a relational, personal God, and yet why there is so much suffering in the world sometimes in the name of God. 
these deep-seated questions that, for lack of an adequate answer, turn people away from God, began to be answered in my mind and was another affirmation of my faith, another stone laid in the foundation of my faith. I understood why we believe that when you die, you don't go straight to heaven or burn in some cauldron in the middle of the earth, but you're asleep awaiting the resurrection. I began to understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus' second coming was literal, physical. All would see it. It would be decisive, an end to living on this sinful planet, and that Jesus would be coming back to take us home, that heaven is real, and that heaven could begin here on earth with Jesus in my heart. I began to understand more of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and how they confirmed and expanded on Daniel 2, how it outlined 2,300 years of history, including the first coming of Jesus, his baptism, his death, the sanctuary being cleansed at the end of those years, what the sanctuary even was, and how it outlines the plan of salvation, the signs of the second coming, the history of God's people throughout the ages and their role in the last days the three angels preparing for the reaping of the harvest, the judgment and all the beauty of that, and what the new heavens and the earth would be like. So many beautiful truths about the merciful dealings of God with man throughout history and his plan to end sin forever. These were being impressed in my mind, and as I understood the clear message of the Bible, it was logical, it was spiritual, It was moving, it was relational, and it changed my life. And in a sense, just like the experience of Jesus, I began to realize and understand that I wasn't born in this world by accident in this day and age. To live in the 21st century just for no reason. I was born during this time in Earth's history for a very specific purpose, to prepare a people to stand before God And to usher in the second coming, I began to understand God's purpose for me as I read the scriptures and I studied the prophecies. My friends, if you do not know why you are a Seventh-day Adventist, you might be young or old. You might have been in the church for just a few years or for 50 years. If you don't know why you are a Christian, why you can trust this book, why you go to church, what your specific calling is here in life, you will be all too easily distracted from this message, this mission, and this calling because your foundation is faulty. You will be distracted by false theology, higher criticism, a watering down of the message of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Distractions happen easily to those who are not focused. And those only are focused who are deeply in love with Jesus and fully convicted of their mission. Jesus was convicted, sold out, sure of his calling. In Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says of Moses, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses was taught by his parents about the true God, and he was actually visited by angels, we're told. He was told of his mission to lead God's people out of Egypt as the deliverer. 
And nothing could deter him from that mission. Not even the hopes of being the next Pharaoh, the most powerful leader of the most powerful nation of the world. All the riches and treasures could not distract him because he had understood and embraced his calling that God had revealed to him. Unless you are convinced of your calling today, GYC, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And just because you're here at GYC, and just because I'm here about GYC, excited about the message and mission, doesn't mean you'll always be. Distractions will come easily if you haven't had a personal realization of your calling from the Word of God, your mission, why you were born to live in the 21st century. We must first build a foundation for our faith that is fully built on the Word of God and a connection with the Jesus of the Bible. And if we have any hope of living an undistracted life, focused on the mission God has given to us, we need to have a strong grasp and clear understanding of the personal mission God has given to us. But even for those who have built a foundation on the Word of God, who understand the prophecies, who see clearly the beauty of Jesus' character, the glory of the plan of salvation, the hope of the second coming, there are yet still distractions that the devil loves to use. Just because you have a knowledge of the Bible doesn't mean you are exempt from the distractions that the, devil's throw, the devil throws your way. Isn't that right? I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. And verse 15, 15 to 17. And there it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not what? It's not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. My friends in the ministry, those who are leaders, anyone in this room, the distractions in our day and age are unprecedented. And anything that is distracting you from fulfilling the calling of God in your life, whether seemingly good or bad, is a distraction. The devil won't stop at anything. Whether you've been in seminary, you're a pastor, a Bible worker, a ministry leader, whether you know the prophecies backwards and forwards, whether you long to preach the word and share Jesus with the world, the devil will still come in and try to distract in any way that he can away from the mission that we have in these days. No wonder the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 25 to 26, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Don't lose sight of where your feet are going. Make every move intentional. Look straight ahead. I don't know this morning what your distraction is. Maybe it's social media. You know, I know how it is. I have to catch myself too. You start off with 10 minutes and it turns into however long. 
maybe of social media, but every time you get on, the temptation is too strong to look at things you shouldn't look at there. And you find yourself caught in the devil's snare, distracted by the world, its principles, by its temptations to sin. I know social media can be a powerful tool for ministry. But I'm just going to be raw and real. I would venture to say that at least half of us in this room find a satisfaction from social media that we really should be finding in God. If you keep getting distracted for hours or tempted to sin, get rid of it. Cut it down. Jesus said that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He meant go to any length to remove the obstruction, remove the distraction. It's taking your heart away from holy things. Yes, you're keeping in touch with people, but you keep seeing things that are pulling your heart away from the principles of heaven. As I told you, we have no power to change ourselves. It's God's power that does the work in us, but he gives us a will. He promises to even help us with our will. Philippians 3, 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to li what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Are we straining ahead or are we continuing to be moved off of the path every day? Perhaps a distraction in your life is an unholy ambition, a refusal to let go of something you've always wanted to accomplish or do, even if it takes you away from living the life of ministry God has called you to. Maybe you're distracted by the issues of the church. Believe me, it's distracting to all of us, but we are called to stay focused. We're called to spread the gospel to the world, to share Jesus in unreached places, to love our brothers and sisters, and to not look down upon one another. Maybe there's a major distraction in your life, a besetting sin. I'm just trying to be real here this morning because I think it's really important to challenge each other to the core if we really love each other. Some of you may be distracted in a significant way by a sin that is weighing you down spiritually and you feel caught You just don't know how to get out. Statistically, many of you in this room are struggling with self-control in the area of pornography, and you just don't know how to get out. There is help for you in God. There is hope, so much hope. The purity of heaven is more powerful than the pull of lust. I promise you, Jesus can help you through this. Keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. God is in the business of complete and total restoration, of bringing us up out of the miry clay and setting our feet on solid ground. He will remove this from your life. Maybe today you're in a relationship that is taking your heart away from loving the things of God. Perhaps this person is not leading you to Jesus. 
not leading you to love the things of God more. And little by little, you're losing your love for God and interest in fulfilling God's purpose for your life. I remember at one point, as a teenager, being involved with a guy who I know I knew I shouldn't be with. I, I knew my Bible. I was giving Bible studies. I was so on fire. I loved spiritual things. And, but little by little, as I hung out more with him and as I wasn't careful in my physical boundaries, as my heart was drawn out, my love for spiritual things began to wane. I stopped opening up my Bible every morning because every time I did, I was convicted. And I didn't like the feeling of conviction. I hated feeling like a hypocrite. Because I knew if I opened the Bible, I'd just go on doing what I was doing. So I just stopped. I drifted further and further and began to backslide and adopt my old ways again. But praise the Lord, several months later, I just couldn't bring myself to live such a hollow life without God when I had experienced so much richness with him before. And one day I told God, I don't feel like it, but if you change my heart and help me and give me a desire, because I don't even want to open up the Bible, I feel so far away from you. I want the things of the world. I'm so distracted by the allurements of the world. But I said, if you will change my heart, I'll be devoted to you again. I knew I didn't have it in me to change myself. But it was God's power, and I remember the next morning, I woke up and I couldn't wait to read my Bible. God worked in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, and I continued to walk in the path of God. If your time and energy, your money, your morality is being sapped by something or someone, if it's distracting you from being the man or woman God has called you to be, God is calling you to give it up. No matter the cost, God will supply the lack that you feel. You feel socially alone when you cut down or get rid of social media. That's okay. God will speak to you through his word. Even if God were to call you to give up on a relationship that's holding you back from growing in him, he will take care of your heart. I'm just like you, friends. I feel the pull of the world, of the distractions, of everything the devil uses to pull our hearts away from the message and mission we've been given to share with the world. I've been jaded by church politics in the past. I've struggled with depression. I've been addicted to social media. I've been addicted to impure thoughts and had to learn to overcome. I've had family struggles and I've longed for the things of the world too. But this morning I'm here to tell you that God has a greater plan for your life. That he has called you to live in the 21st century, in this time of earth's history for a reason. And he wants to call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He himself will clear the distractions so you can arise and shine and live out the calling God has placed on you to be a beacon of light in a dark world. This is his heart's desire for you. What is more important than fulfilling the calling God has placed on us as young people in this time of earth's history? You were not born to live a conventional life. You were born with a very specific calling, just like Jesus was, and John the Baptist, and Daniel, and Joseph, and Moses, 
a call to be completely devoted to spreading the gospel to the world. As one of my friends said, stop living your life. Your life is boring. Live your calling. I know that one of the reasons we exist today as a church is because of a group of young people, some of them teenagers, who studied the Word of God, who made it their one focus, many times staying up all night as they studied and prayed for guidance. They were sold out for the message. They were sold out for the mission to see Jesus come soon. Their hearts burned within them as they read of Jesus, as they realized where they were in earth's history, and that God would have a group of people who would follow his commandments and who would have the faith of Jesus. I think of their sacrifice, of the miles they would walk in the snow just to publish their first papers, to send to the surrounding area to tell people that Jesus was coming soon. And I think of how hard it is for us to even just pass out one piece of literature. People who who started our church were so devoted and committed to the mission. I want to be like them. I want to be sold out. They were radical. They lived their lives as if Jesus was coming soon. Ridiculed by many because of the way they lived their lives. I don't believe that Jesus will come at a time when we have less determination, less focus, or less sacrifice than those who have gone before us. And I'm appealing to you, my friends, in this room and to myself, those who are driven and tossed by the world, unsure of what to believe, moved in every direction, caught up in the ambitions of the world, how are we going to go home? Maybe you're waiting for some magical moment like the latter rain to come when all of a sudden you'll be magically transformed into someone who puts away all distractions and focuses on the mission and who loves winning souls and spending time with God. Maybe you're waiting for the world to get a little more worse so you'll have a bit more reason to believe Jesus is coming soon and and now it won't be as big of a risk to be sold out for him. Maybe you're waiting to get older, but for now you just want to have fun because you're young. Friends, that day won't come. God works through our choice, and today his still small voice is reaching out to your hearts to live differently than you've ever lived before. He's calling you to walk worthy of your calling, to make your calling an election sure. When the moment comes when we see Jesus come in the clouds, the hope of all nations is here, the moment we've all been waiting for. I don't want to regret and look back and think, well, I just wish I would have lived my life differently so that more people could be saved. I wish I wasn't so caught up in this thing or this relationship or this pursuit because now it doesn't mean anything compared to our life in heaven with Jesus. Today, I have a very specific appeal. You know, this weekend is a weekend of decisions. It's a Sabbath to allow God to radically change your life. And today you recognize that you don't really have an understanding of what the Bible teaches. Maybe your understanding is surface. Maybe you are easily distracted because you really don't know what you believe. And you want to begin having Bible studies with your pastor, with your Bible worker, someone who can teach you the Adventist message. Maybe you want to go online and find a training program. You're committing to God, 
to be trained at home by someone locally or find an online training site. You want to study the prophecies. You want to understand your calling for yourself. And this is not just head knowledge we're talking about. It's an experience with God's Word that transforms our lives. But you realize that you need that. I invite you to raise your hands right now. You realize that you need to know more about the prophecies. You need to know more about what you believe and understand what your calling is in this day and age. Amen. Amen. My second appeal builds on this first appeal. This morning you realize that you have not built a solid foundation for your faith. And you want to be trained in a very intentional way. You sense that you don't know how to share your faith. And you feel that God is calling you to go to a Bible college, to a training school, or somewhere where you will be intentionally guided to study your Bible and learn how to share your faith. You need to be trained. Maybe it's a summer of training. I took a significant amount of time out of school. I graduated later than everyone else, but I don't regret it for the world because I believe that nothing is more important than being trained and equipped and on fire for God. To be in an environment where you can spiritually grow, there is nothing more important. God is not calling all of us to leave school or whatever we're doing. He isn't. But there are some people that he wants to go to a training school. You want to be grounded in your faith, and you feel that it necessitates focusing only on that for a period of time. I invite you to come forward. God is moving on your heart. I need to know my faith. I need to understand where we are in earth's history. It might be a Bible college. It might be another school. It might be some training program. But in your heart, you sense, I I know why I'm living in these last days, but I don't know how to fulfill that. And I want to be trained. I invite you to come forward so that someone can scan your badge and follow up with you. God is moving on your heart to live differently than you've ever lived before. Yes, this is radical. Yes, it's a risk. And believe me, pray about it. It's a risk. Because if you do it and you're behind and later on you regret it later because you decided it wasn't worth your time, you're going to be really bitter. Or you're going to really love it because your life is transformed forever. This is a risk, but it's a risk God is calling you to take. I'm not calling for an emotional decision I'm calling you to pray in your heart, Lord, I need to be stronger in my faith. I need to be trained. I need to know what I believe. Praise the Lord. And as they're coming forward, my last appeal is for those who find themselves distracted this morning. We talked about the distractions that face us as young people. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe you're distracted by your career. One that isn't necessarily bad, but distracting you from living out your calling. And God is calling you to make a choice to put aside that distraction. You know that there's a distraction in your life that is keeping you from fulfilling your mission. I want to invite you forward as well. You're committing to God. Lord, I don't have a will of my own, but please take my will. Take my heart. Change me. Help me to overcome in this sin 
Help me to overcome in this distraction in my life. I don't have the power. I know I can't do it, but I know that you have the power and that Jesus, you want me to live differently than I've ever thought of living before. Praise the Lord. My friends, I believe that Jesus can come in our lifetime. I am not ashamed to say This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.